If you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, last chapter, Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah was a prophet before that uh, God's people was sent into exile in Babylon. Actually, about 150 years before. And he saw, as, he, as God had let him see, he saw not just what would immediately happen, but he saw what would distantly happen. There are passages after passages after passages. I'm sorry, what? There are passages that, that um, in Isaiah that you can absolutely preach the gospel straight from. So let's uh, look at uh, Isaiah chapter 66, uh, and I'll be reading through verse 16. Through verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things which hand has made and all those have been, saith the Lord, but unto this man will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. He that killeth an ox as if he slew a man, he that sacrifices a lamb as though he cut a dog's neck, he that offers an oblation as if he offered swine's blood, he that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol, yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose their delusions." And will bring their fears upon them, because when I called, none of them did answer. And when I spake, they didn't hear. But they did evil before my eyes, and chose that in which I delighted not. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed." a voice of the noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to his enemies. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth? saith the Lord, shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith thy God? Rejoice you with Jerusalem, and be glad with her, and ye that love her. Rejoice for her with her, all ye that mourn for her, that you may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolations, that you may milk out and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus saith the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall ye suck, and be borne upon her sides, and be dandled upon her knees. As one whose mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And when you see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like an herb, and the hand of the Lord shall be known towards his servants, and his indignation towards his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come with fire, and with his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many.
This is how Isaiah ends his prophecy. It is talking about his people as the city of Zion. And the city of Zion, we're going to see, is actually a place. Zion is a hill. Um, it's actually one of the most southeastern hills. It's not even a mountain. It's just a, it's just a, a mound um, in the southern part that now has the temple on it. And uh, David conquered it. We're going to look at that in a second. And later, Zion was kind of expanded into the whole idea of the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem and Zion were kind of the same idea. Then later it was expanded. It was the people of God. The people of God are Zion. And so when in this passage he's talking about the people of God, or the, the city of Zion, he's talking about his own people, where God chooses to put his name, where God chooses to dwell. Do You see, God doesn't dwell in a town. He's not a person that, that, is, has a, that he needs to be in a location. He doesn't have an address. He has called out people, and he then uses those people as his very city. And we're going to look at Zion today. And glorious things of thee are spoken. We'll see. We saw that in, in Psalm 87. So first of all, let's look at Zion. The first time we see Zion is in First Chronicles in uh, chapter 11. David conquers the Jebusites. Okay, do you remember the Hivites and the Jebusites and the, all of the Canaanites and all the Ites? Well, the Jebusites lived in Jerusalem. This was where the Jebusites lived. That was their hometown. And when Joshua finished conquering, the Jebusites were one of the few groups they never got around to. These were people directly commanded that Joshua would conquer. It was on the list of the the nations that he was to completely dispossess, and Joshua never did it. Later, David does it. This is from uh, 1 Chronicles 11, verse 5. The inhabitants of the Jebus said to David, Thou shalt not come hither. Nevertheless, David took the castle of Zion, which is the city of David. So when we look at the expanded definition of Zion, as we go through all of the Psalms, and as we go through especially Isaiah's writing, and he's talking now about us, that God lives in us, that he has chosen to put his dwelling in us forever and ever and ever. The new Jerusalem is more of the fact that God is with us, with his people perpetually, than some location that we're going to be at. It's, it's not so much an address as a location of where God chooses to dwell. And so when we look at this idea of Zion, I go back to First to Chronicles 11 with a different eyes and I say, the people there said, you're not going to come to us. And they're taunting him. And it said, nevertheless, David took the castle and made it the city of David. And I promise you that that's what happened in my heart. I promise you. There was a time that I would say, you're not going to take this heart. I'll do as I please. I'll be as I wish. I do not want this man to rule over me, I used to say. But God did it. He conquered me, and he made me into his city. He made all people that turned to him into his city, into his dwelling place, into the very place where he chooses forever and ever to be. And so when I, looked, when I looked at this and the idea that they taunted him, they said, they said, 
The weakest one among you could, uh, the strongest one among you couldn't go up there. The, our weakest ones, the ones who don't even have legs, can run faster than you and beat you down. And David said, oh yeah, and completely conquered this and made it the city of David. Now, God had before told Moses, when I pick a town where I will choose to put my name, you are to bring my tabernacle there. That is now going to be mine. This is where I will reign, where my throne will be, where God will actually reign as king in this city that he will later choose. And when David conquered that citadel and made it the city of David and then later brought the Ark of the Covenant to there and built the temple for God, God said, this is the city where I will always be. This is where you will be continuously protected. I will always protect you. So when John Newton then wrote his hymn, Glorious Things, we're going to sing that at the end of the service, he was looking at the city of Zion as you, as you who've trusted the Lord. And he said, you will always be kept. You'll never be in danger. As the mountains surround this city, I will keep you. Your salvation will keep you. I will be your king in you, in your midst. And so Psalm 87 and all of these passages, all the David's writings, all of it lead past where they were even looking at. They weren't realizing that we will be forever with God, that it's not a national God that they had, but an eternal God of all of the earth, and the redeemed of the earth will be with him forever. So this is Psalm 125. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion which cannot be removed, yet abides forever. As the mountains are around about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. Do you see? So it's a picture. You have to remember that as the Bible was written, things actually were true. There were cities that actually existed. There were people that actually existed. There were things that happened that really happened to real people. And not everything is so spiritualized but God is teaching us about something bigger than we are, bigger that we've never seen. We've never seen heaven. We've never seen what God has intent. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard, neither is yet into the hearts of people what God has planned for us. But it's like a city, he's saying. You are like a city that I will keep and guard and I will always be with you. So when you look at it, you say, all right, the city of Zion is us. So this is where I, where I went. I want to take you to Psalm 132. This is a, most of David that I'm going to do for a couple minutes. David writing through because he's writing about Zion, Zion, Zion. Zion was the city of David. It's where, it's, it's the city of David is where Christ will reign. And this is Psalm 132, 13. The Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. So when you think of this not as a town, not as a city that needs a government, but as a people of God that God is speaking for, he's put his name on us, and he chooses forever to keep us and only towards our best. And there will be a time where we will no longer sin against the Lord God. You will not sin. 
Your, your heart will be only to do his will all the time, and you will be the proper temple of God. But in the meantime, he is making us into what he wants us to be. So he chose us, and this is, this is from Psalm 78. Also, these are all David's psalms, 78 verse 68. But I chose the tribe of, Z- of Judah and, I tr- and the Mount of Zion, which he loved, and he built his sanctuary like high places, like the earth which he established forever. Do you see? David thought that he built. The, the, he wanted to build his own house, and then he wanted to build for God. And God said, no, I'll raise up one of your sons. He'll build me a house. Okay? So David was like, oh, can't be me. Solomon will build your house. That must be the man that you're, one of my sons will build you a house. I'll make sure if it can't be me, it'll be my son. And so David had everything prepared. He saved it all. All the building materials were in place. And as soon as Solomon became king, he started building the temple. And God actually dwelt there, resided. His glory filled the temple so that people couldn't even serve in the temple because the glory was too much for them to even be. But he was speaking of Jesus. Jesus, the son of David, will be the king. He will build the house for God. And we are the house. It's not made out of beautiful stone. It's not made out of gold-covered wood. We are the house of God. We are the people that beautify and give ornament to the gospel. And so it's God that builds his house. So if God conquered our hearts... If God is the one who, who came and conquered our citadel and made us his city, he then put his temple in us. That us, filthy, I know what I am, I know what I've done, that I could be clean in front of God and God actually accept my worship, truly accept it, is one of the most miraculous things that could ever be spoken. How could God, almighty, holy God, allow me to be the place where he would dwell? And not just me, but every simple believer of the whole world in in all times and in all countries. Do you see? So there will be a day when when every nation, every tongue, every tribe, all of us will please God together. And God will be God there for us. And so the last one I, I chose from David was Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He, sit, he that sits between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion. He is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. Do you see it? It's appropriate. If he has placed his temple in Zion, it's appropriate for then Zion to recognize him as king over this city. That he is, he is not simply a puppet He is not someone that we control or we manipulate, that we make do what we truly think we are really king and we're saying that God is king. No, God chooses. He gets to decide what's going to happen, not just in history, but in my life. He gets to determine what's right and what's wrong. He gets to determine my morality. He gets to, to pick. It is God who reigns in the lives of his church. So I am claiming that the city of Zion is the people of God, that it's the church of Jesus Christ, that that where he rules, where he reigns, where he is worshipped, where he is revered, and where people tremble under his word, that that is something different than any place else in the world. There is a city 
in Jerusalem that was called Zion, that God put his name on and, and put his special protection over. But Isaiah is writing this. Isaiah is writing this before everybody in Jerusalem would be destroyed. The temple that was in Jerusalem not, was not even left. Everything was burned. All of it was gone. There were no population there. There was nothing there. All was destroyed. But see, so, so Isaiah cannot be prophesying something that would happen in 100 years. He is looking into the big picture. He's looking into the forever. And he's saying this city God will keep. This city is the, his own people. The church is his city. And the church is different from all the other cities in the world. That we, we have a different king. We have a different religion. We have a different way of thinking. That we are separate and we are not like all the other cities of the world. So look back at 66 now with the eyes that this is how Isaiah is completing his prophecy. So it starts out in verse 2. For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have seen, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that's poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. He said, I own it all. Every city in earth I own. I made everything. But yet there is one city that I'm going to put my name on. There's only one city that I'm going to guard. There's one city that I'm going to fight for. And he's saying, this city is the man that is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. That in this world, that's a few, there are only a few. There are a few people that would look at God's word and see with such reverence that this is God himself speaking that he is speaking a love letter to us and recognize that it's so that he, God is so connected to his word that you can't even take his words as separate from God himself. It's who God is representing it to his people. And he said, I will deal with one man. I will look to one man, a man who's poor and contrite in his spirit, who's not haughty and huffy, who recognizes that he is a, he's like a beggar cringing and needs to be provided for, that person who trembles at my word because it's my word, that person is the one I will look to. The others who all claim my name, I will not. To the falsies and to the, to the fakos, I will not. Look at, their, at verse 3. He that kills an ox as if he slew a man. He kills an ox and puts it on my altar and worships. But in the same in his heart, it would be the same as if he killed a man. It's not that he's truly worshiping me. He's going through what he must go through because we live in a very religious society. And so everybody is a Christian. Everybody's a Christian. So he said, that person, he that offers an oblation, that gives God a gift, but offers that as the, if, if he offered swine's blood, that it was the same whether he would please God or or displease God was the same to him. To, to worship in an unfit manner is the same as if you were an idol worshiper, that there's no difference. He that, um, uh, he, he that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol. That worshiping of God in an unfit manner is not worshiping of God. It's the same to God as if you were his enemy. To, for you to say good things about God, for you to sing the truths of Scripture, for you to read the Bible and have a heart 
that basically is who cares what, whatever, whatever, is the same as God as if you were his blatant, offensive enemy because he only protects one city. He protects the city of David. He protects Zion. It's Zion that he protects. The, everyone else, he's going to let go their own way. So there will be, there is a time that he will distinguish, he will discriminate between his people and all other people, regardless of whatever your profession is. He will, he's the one who knows every heart. He's the one who will protect his own. It's his family he disciplines. It's not other people's families. You discipline your own children, you don't discipline others. And this is what he said. He said, I will also choose their delusions. I don't know if you recognize, but this whole country's deluded. And it's very religious. And it's getting more religious all the time. Don't think it's not getting more religious. It's getting very churchy. This country is becoming very, very, very churchy. But it's not the, the God of the Bible that they're serving. It's the God of this age that they're serving. And so just because the trappings are the same or just because the words are the same doesn't mean anything. You are either serving the Lord Jesus or you're not. And it's not the Lord Jesus of your own making. It's not your idol that you call Jesus, but it's the Jesus that's displayed in Scripture only. That's the city of, of Zion that God keeps. And it says, because when I called, none answered. When I spake, they didn't hear, but they did evil before my eyes and, ch- and to chose that in which I delighted not. So when we get to verse 5, God is now saying something direct. Whenever you hear in, um, have the idea of hear the word of the Lord, this is Isaiah speaking. This is a new prophecy. So we have like a comma, and now here's a prophecy. This is God directly speaking through Isaiah. Hear the word of the Lord, verse 5. And notice who he's talking to. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Did you just hear that from, the past, from that past passage? I will deal with this man, the man who's poor and contrite in his spirit and who trembles at my word. Are you him, God is saying? All the other worshipers, they're frauds. That is not who I'm talking to. I'm talking to you, those of you who are trembling at God's word. This is a word to you from God. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, and said, let the Lord be glorified. Okay? The idea that in your misery they would be delighted and they want you to glorify the Lord as though somehow sing and dance for us so that we can sing. So don't realize, you have to realize your brethren, the people like you, your brethren that hated you, that do not tremble at God's word, that God is not speaking to now, but he's speaking about. Okay? But he shall appear to your joy, and then they shall be ashamed. God is going to come through for you, period. Even if you are mocked for it, even if you're derided, the, the people who despise a real Christian, and they're okay with religion. This world's fine with religion. Say the name of Jesus, and people get uncomfortable. Say, God bless you, and they're fine with it. it uh, the people who mock you and throw you out and, and disinvite you and persecute you, you, God will come through. He shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. And then look what's happening. Here's verse 6. A voice of a noise from the city, a voice from the temple. Do you see? God is about to do something. A voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense 
to his enemies. God is about to do something big, something unheard of, something never seen before. And he's only interested in telling his own people. He's telling his people what's going to happen. Now, you have to remember, these people, the city will be destroyed by the Babylonians. All will be destroyed. There will be nothing left. And the people that are not dead will be taken into captivity for an entire generation. So this is what they have to look forward to. But Isaiah is saying, no, God has a message way bigger than the right now. God has a message big enough, and if you are the one that trembles at his word, I will tell you something that I'm not going to tell anybody else. Okay? Now, let's go back because you noticed that in Mother's Day I picked this, the, this picture of a mother. The picture of how the church is a mother to the, God, to the people of God. How they act like a mother. But you have to realize his people of God at the moment are not acting like a mother. The people are wicked. Why do you think they're going to Babylon? The leaders are wicked. The people are wicked. The priests are all degenerate. The, the religion is gone. The religion is not true. It is a false religion. Okay, It's a false religion all about the money, like all false religions are. All about the money, all about power, all about prestige, all about influence. And this, this profligate nation of Israel is, is the, the setting. Okay, So I'm going to take you back just a chapter or two to chapter 54. This is Isaiah who is basically saying, here's who you are, but here's who you're going to be. This is 54 verse 1. Sing, O barren, thou that did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that did not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch up forth the curtain of thy habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. So he's talking to Israel and he's saying, you're barren. Look at you. Look at your leaders. Look at your priests. Look at the people who are teaching you your faith. There is, there is compromise everywhere you look. There's wickedness in the highest of places and in the lowest of places. And the people that are sheep are being, are being run over by this essential nation of, of fakers and cheaters. He said, but you are going to be so rich that you, though you were barren, are going to be so fruitful and abundant. Something is going to happen. And in verse 66, or chapter 66, which is his last chapter of his prophecy, he wants to tell you what is happening. So let's go back to, to 66, and we're as far as verse 7. Before she travailed... She brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man child. Who hath heard such things? Who hath seen such things? Shall an earth be made to bring forth in one day? Shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Do you see Zion? Before so it's 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 a metaphor. He's using a picture. He's saying that that the church is going to be giving birth to God's people in a very strange way. It is the birthplace. It's where people will become into the family of God. This is where it happens. And it's also, Paul used this metaphor. When you get as far as Galatians, this is Galatians 4.19. Paul says, my little children whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Do you see the picture? 
It's the idea of, it's not that, that some person is your father. You don't call any person on earth father. God is the one who saves you. God is the one who shows Jesus to you. It's the Holy Spirit working in your life that enables you to want him, desire him, and walk towards him. But he uses the church to do that. He uses people that already love God, who already tremble at his word, who live in front of you, and you see them unmistakably. And these people have such an influence on you that this is where God most of the time uses. There are people that are saved on their deathbeds. There are. There are people that will pick up a track in a train station or watch a, a TV show or something like that. There are people who come to the Lord, but the great majority of the house of God for the last 2,000 years has found it with other believers. Believers who are Zion, who God is protecting, who God is shining on, who God is taking that city in a different way from all other cities. And he's making these people the place of birth to those of him that he's saving. This is where you see it. Okay, You have to realize that ever since the fall, there has been a curse with childbirth. That's why you get a card. That's why you get roast beef. It's because of just there is, there's so much to it, and it's not all pleasant. And it's not just the birth. It's, it's the fact that you are giving of yourself for your entire life. There was a curse applied to it. With, with, in pain, you will deliver children. And that's how it was. But this is different. This is a different birth. This is not natural. So when you, go back to, when you go back to seven, it says, before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man, a man-child. That this is somehow not natural. This is not how it happens. The people born in the house of God, in your Sunday school class, in a worship service, under the preaching of the gospel, is not natural. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that happens as God is working miraculously in a way that you've never seen before, okay? And it's, you see, Jesus is the author and the finisher. He's the one who planned it and made it happen. And he does it to bless his people. He is so interested that his people would be properly uh, weaned from this world so that they do not want a king like everyone else. That's such his priority in the life of his people that he allows it to be the place where most people are saved. Okay, most people are saved. I have led people to the Lord before privately, personally, but most of the people that became Christians that are still Christians now were saved under the gospel. Most. I would say that many as opposed to this many. Okay, why? Because it's different? Because the gospel is different? No, not at all. Not at all. In fact, if you were to speak to your friend one-on-one, directly addressing their needs and their person, often God can use that in a powerful way. But he chooses to bless his people so that his people remember that God is still with us, that God is here, that God is not distant, that we don't have a pen pal relationship, that he comes and dwells with us in his spirit when two or three are gathered in his name and the power of the Holy Spirit is strong enough to break somebody's resistance, David conquered Mount Zion. Even though the people were like, you will not come up here. And David was like, yeah? Do you not realize that God is bigger 
than your resistance. And he breaks it down, not just as a reward to his people, but because that's what he intended his church to be. He intended to be a birthplace, a birthplace. And it said it was sudden. Who in the world has heard about it? Before her pain came, she was delivered. Before she travailed, she brought forth. It's sudden. It's instantaneous. It is something that happens, and you don't have to go through the process. You don't have to go through the net. It's not like, let me tell you so much about our philosophy that you'll eventually adopt our philosophy. It has nothing to do with that. God instantly just rushes into a heart and takes over. And he does make that into a temple. He does build his temple there, and he reigns as king there. Do you want to know the real Christians that you know? Who among your acquaintance has God reigning as king over their life? That's the Christian. The rest are the church ladies. The rest are the, are the frauds. The rest are the ones who will be standing at the end waiting for something to happen. And it will happen, but it's not what they thought. The people who God is reigning over is now used in his service. He doesn't just save a person to sit. He saves them to be used. And we, used, we minister to each other. We love each other actively. We must be in each other's lives. We cannot be such distant acquaintances. It can't be that way. We must love each other actively. And in that love, we see the gospel. And in that gospel, we have confidence. And God is blessing. He blesses. And one of the evidences of blessing is life. You see life where you did not see life. And he's about to add something in huge number. Okay? Who would have seen it? Who even heard of it? Shall the earth bring brought forth in one day? This is verse 8. Or shall the nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth children. It's going to be full. There will be an, a sudden increase in the number of, of, the, of the children of God. Now, if you look at Isaiah knowing that the city of Jerusalem will be completely destroyed... Then after one generation, they all come back. That was fulfilled. That there would be just wasteland, nothing left, nothing but a, but a carcass and a shell, and there will be people in the streets again, and there will be walls built again. It will be happen again. So it did happen, and it's happened since. It happened on the day of Pentecost, did it not? 3,000 people in one day. Peter preaches one message about the resurrection, and people are like, crying out in the streets, what do I do to be saved? And God added daily to the number those that were to be saved. It's, it's unmistakable. But that is not always the way it is. God it often will super bless you in, in obedience and then back off and allow you to see the times where you're forced to trust God, where you're forced and you're like, well, what about all this? Why, shouldn't, why are there not people pouring down the aisles towards salvation? Have we been rejected? Did you not hear what Melissa read? The, Zion said, no, God, you rejected us. We're dead. We're just dead men. And he said, can a mother not remember her baby? Of course I remember you. Of course I will revive you again. And it did happen. Over the history it happened. The Reformation, thousands of people truly trusted the living God. And in the history of revival, since it's happened again and again and again, people do return. And there will be, even Isaiah says, a huge ingathering 
at the end of time, a huge in gathering where true Christians, now they'll suffer for their faith, but true Christians will come to the true and living God, not the false God of American flashyism, but the true living God, where, where God is God and we're not. There will be people coming. It's, it's again and again, and there will be a multitude vaster than can be numbered from every tribe and nation. Do you see it's God's work? This is John 1.12. I handed some, uh, some Hispanics some Bibles once. I had them over to my apartment, handed them out some Bibles, made them some spaghetti, and they were looking, and one of them opened the Bible like this, just opened it, and he opened it to John 1.13. And in an instant, I had to preach a message, okay? Look at John 1.12 and 13. But as many received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God is the one who wants. God is the one who gets what he wants. God is the one who gives life. He's the one who regenerates a heart. He's the one who makes you born again. And he does it not because someone wants it to happen. He doesn't do it so that we have 350 people crammed into these pews. That's not how God works. He works on his own time schedule. He works according to his judgments, and he works according to his mercies. And he does it in his church, but he makes his church alive first. He's talking to the ones who tremble at his word. Don't want, I don't expect God to do a monkey show for you. He's not a trick. He's not a trickster. He's not a magician. He is God Almighty, and if we were to humble ourselves, God is not opposed to working in this congregation. It is not. It's totally within his will to bless his people. And there should be things that you see. So verse 9, this is back to Isaiah 66. Shall I bring to birth and not cause it to bring forth, saith the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith thy God? Do you see it? God's saying... I'm not going to go all the way and then not allow people to come to me. No, absolutely. I'm totally possible. I I have every ability. God has every confidence in his own abilities. But he's working in all of our hearts. He's not just saving people that are are headed for hell. He is also working in the ones who've already been saved so that we sanctify God in our hearts that we go closer to God, that we move closer. He's working in all the areas at once, okay? So, so I read the opening, and in, in the glorious things of thee are spoken, and then it mentions all of, these, all of these nations. He said, I'll make mention of Rahab and Babylon, that they know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Ethiopia, this man was born there, and of Zion it shall be said, this man was born in her. I will birth people. There should be a birthplace expected that that's what God says. This is back to verse 10 and 66. Rejoice with her. Be glad with her. You that love her, rejoice in joy for her, all that you that mourn for her. Those of you who are mourning for the church because there's no power. You who are mourning for the church because there's more dust than there are people to wipe the dust off with their rear ends. Okay, that is that is something that you mourn for. And as you mourn, God answers your prayers. God, you it's with weeping that you go out. 
bearing the precious seed, but it's with joy that you bring in the sheaves. That's how God works. He uses his people in his, in his uh, mission that we work in his vineyard, and that is to us. He loves us. We're not just his minions. We're not just his worker bees. We are his beloved children that he is investing in us the same. Okay, so we worked six hours in the hot heat of the day, and there will be people right at the end that get the same page as us. Praise the Lord they get the same pay as us. It's for us to work. That's what we are. We've been saved from a hideous life. Every minute that I've been saved, I have not uh, been putrid in my life. That's a wonderful thing. I'm happy that there will be people saved at the end of the day. But I, this is a time that we do something. We follow God here. Verse 11, that you may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolation. Do you see? It's not just bringing forth. It's not just a birthplace, but a mother is someone who nurtures. A mother is someone who takes care. A mother is someone who comforts. That you may be, uh, be satisfied with the breasts of her consolation, that you may milk out. I had to look up that verb. It means just what you think it does. I'm like, wow, never, never heard that one before. To milk out with the abundance of her glory. So when the Christian church is doing what she was called to do, people should be coming new in life. And if the Christian church is doing what she should call to do, the people should know that they're being fed. That's not too much to expect. It's not. Look at verse 12. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then you shall suck and be born on her sides and dandled on her knees. Dandled. On her knees. Do you know what that means? And on her side, have you ever held a child on your hip and tried to cook or, or do a thousand other things and you've got a baby on both sides? That is just the image. This is what the church is to do. You don't just win them to the Lord and then say, good, what committee do you want to be on? That's not it. You nurture them, you disciple them, you minister to them, you love on them, you, and you wait while they go through their immaturities, through ever had a teenager, you just wait and you just keep investing, you keep loving and you keep teaching and you just keep teaching and you keep sharing the gospel. That's how you do it. That's how the church does it. That's how your family does it. That's how it's done. So you find security. Do you not see that peace like a river? Is there any more place? Why do you think that a child, Aaron wouldn't let you sit down? You had to stand up with her. She, you couldn't sit with her. She, you had, this was fine. Somehow she wasn't secure on your lap. On your lap she wasn't secure. But here, when you were standing up, she felt fine. That's security. That's what you give to the children of God. That's what the church does. And it's a place of comfort. As one whom his mother comforts. Interesting that one is the word man. The grown man whom his mother comforts. Wow. So no longer dandling on your knees. That there is a time where a child of God grows and he becomes mature. And even then you minister in their life. To the, to the oldest saint in this, in this congregation or to our extended congregation, to the oldest, most mature saint, more godly than you, you love them actively. That's what you're to do. Like a mother comforting a grown son. That's what, that's what it says. So hospitality comes from the same word hospital comes from, where sick, wounded people come for healing. That's what the church is. 
That's what Zion is like. And it causes joy. That's what it causes. It causes joy. Now, it says, when you see this, your heart will rejoice. This is 14. And your bones will flourish like an herb. That's what happens. God blesses his people by letting them participate in his work. And then they're blessed. And then that blessing makes you love God and makes you reject your idols, makes you turn and repent and continuously repent. The more you see God loving you, the more you repent. The more you don't want your filth. You want it out. You want to go towards God. That's what happens. God is using it. And then I did read 15 and 16. The others, the same power that God keeps Jerusalem is the same power that he will destroy the others. Do you see it? So this is Isaiah 57. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I will dwell, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that's of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. This is where God chooses to live. 